for the end of the world. This is Your Community Spirit, a show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again, the circle of family, the circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is Your Community Spirit, coming at you live and local here on Your Community Radio. WDBX, Community Radio for Southern Illinois. And we will get right back with you after just one more musical interlude.
All right, I believe we are ready here at uh, your community spirit. We are trying to get a special guest on the air. Uh, can you hear us, Or? I can. Oh, good. And I can hear you, too, now yeah. that I've discovered my headphones. <laughs> um, yeah, I unfortunately can't be in town. I'm wrapping up a installation up at Lakeland Community College. I just got a couple more hours of work today. So. Uh well, at least you'd be able to be here digitally, and at least you're doing some uh, solo work out there, I presume. Yep. So, that is true. <laughs> so, it's it's been actually producing for about a week and a half, but I just have to tie up some wires and make it all beautiful and neat, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, did you explode anything yesterday? Uh, no, I didn't actually. I watched some people explode things. Uh, it was quite a quite a beautiful show. Uh, I I couldn't help but wonder at some point what the carbon emissions were of that, the, all the fireworks in all the world today. <laughs> I was I was thinking that the the smoke patterns were the uh, very big beautiful part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Um. But I guess you got to celebrate sometime. <laughs> Um, it was interesting to me to figure out, are we celebrating Independence Day? Or, because most people were saying Happy Fourth of July instead of Happy Independence Day. <laughs> yeah. So it seems like there's a little bit of a disconnect what we are actually doing. So yeah. are we celebrating the day off? Yeah, when they call it Happy Fourth of July, I kind of feel like that's what they're doing. They just say, no, you know, it's the Fourth of July. We get the day off. That's what we'll celebrate. <laughs> I see it as a reminder, you know, to try to protect our freedoms. Yeah. Well, I did see two things online. Um, people saying, proclaiming Energy Independence Day and then also uh, Food Independence Day. Mm. So both of those are very close to my heart. The ability to not have to worry about someone else controlling either of those in my life. Yeah. Um, um, I think, especially in southern Illinois, we're uh, leaps and bounds towards getting that food independence, I think. But, yeah, we've got some great, uh, a lot of local farms, local farmers. Uh, here in Carbondale, we've got several farmers markets. We really are moving towards uh, more food independence. And I'm seeing, you know, local foods in uh, in places like the neighborhood co-op and even other grocery stores, like, just starting to carry more local foods from right here in southern Illinois. Yeah. And, yeah, I've always been an advocate of local first, and then, if you're lucky, local organic, but always local first, so... As they like to say, go loco for local. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and think global, eat eat local. <laughs> <laughs> so, are we ready to talk about some crazy things? I think so. We could talk about some crazy things and eventually some fun things, hopefully. All right. Josh Fox's Gasoline 2 to explore the power politic politics of fracking. Pictures of flames shooting out of a tap in Josh Fox's Oscar-nominated first film about the natural gas boom helped, of course, make fracking a household name in America. Now, Gasland Part 2, scheduled to air on HBO on July 8th, 
aims to expose the money and the political power driving the rush to gas. Although it does also feature pictures of a homeowner in Texas lighting his garden hose on fire, quote, this isn't just about fracking at all anymore. This is about our system of government, and this is about climate change, Fox said in the telephone interview. So if what we're seeing across America is people being able to light their water on fire, why hasn't our government done anything about it? Why have our regulatory agencies failed to protect us? The answer is very brief. It's the millions of energy companies spent on political candidates and on lobbying Congress. Fox said, the oil and gas industry has spent $780 million on lobbying since 2008, according to Open Secrets. So how about that? So, yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing to me is nobody's really jumped on fracking as energy independent. You would think that they would really go after that, that that's the reason why they're doing all the fracking. They're going after it, they're saying, for clean energy. Huh. And um, the actual end product might be slightly cleaner, but the process of getting it, it's just like nobody really knows. They just know that there's a heavy environmental cost. Yeah, we're still figuring out exactly what the costs are. There's a lot of evidence that they're there. Um, I was really disappointed that, you know, in, in Obama in his speech, he mentioned methane. So it, it shows that he's aware that methane release is a problem and that we haven't done anything about it yet. But he didn't really mention that part in the speech. <laughs> he, he said the word methane, but he didn't say, oh, you know, we haven't figured out how to, how to stop these massive methane releases when we're doing this fracking. Sometimes he forgets to mention things. That's why we're here on Your Community Spirit, is to remember to mention things that other people forget. Well, hopefully. Yeah, so, if we remember. Well, and if we forget, I know our listeners will remind us to remind everybody else to remember. Yeah. Did that actually make sense? Maybe. <laughs> I think so. So. But yeah, you can email us at info at yourcommunityspirit.org if you have such things to pass on to us. There you go. So. What do, you, what do you think about Obama's climate plan with the... Now, the House said, okay, you've got this climate plan. We have an offshore drilling plan. <laughs> yeah. So, not pleased with the modest climate and energy reforms Obama revealed on Tuesday, the House sought to drown out the president's call to invest, divest, de with, a, with the, you know, the favorite, what was it? Drill, baby, drill. So, um, in a 235-186 vote on Friday, House lawmakers passed the Offshore Energy and Jobs Act. Okay, how is this a Jobs Act if it's all offshore? <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, I guess they're giving jobs to the, the fish off in the shore. They get to eat all the oil. <laughs> and it, the 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 plan actually kind of reads like Big Oil's Christmas list. It's like it would open virtually all of the U.S. Atlantic coast, the Pacific coast off Southern California, and much of Alaska's offshore space to new drilling, require the Obama administration to create a new five-year plan for offshore operations, and generally perpetuate an energy agent's agenda driven by climate deniers. 
So, um, and it wasn't really that close of a vote. I mean, 235 to 186. Yeah, it was a pretty strong, uh, strong majority there, and that's that, that struck that caught my attention because you know we, you know we've been saying some flaws in Obama's climate plan, but this this makes Obama's plan look I don't know like like it's slightly better. Slightly <laughs> better. It's just like yeah, this does just seem like a, like they set a Christmas list for the oil industry. Do Do you get allergies? Oh, uh, no. I personally don't get allergies. I wonder if our listeners get allergies. Yeah, I mean, the idea that climate change is making your allergies worse, that's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> yeah. So, you want to read this one? Yeah, I'll do this one. As if the increased threat of catastrophic weather events weren't enough, climate change also has to mess with us in ways less apocalyptic, but arguably more frustrating on a daily basis. Like by making our allergies way worse. More CO2 in the atmosphere stimulates plant growth and pollen production. As a result, allergy doctors across the country are reporting increases in patient visits. New ones who have never been there before experiencing symptoms, as well as long-time sufferers getting more miserable each year. As for, excuse me, company that tests for allergies reported a 15% increase in ragweed allergies from 2005 to 2009. Now, I'll say that again, 15% increase in ragweed allergies. Now, that's not saying that it's only related to climate change. There could also be dietary reasons, other pollutants, but that's a lot of increase in allergies. Well, I mean, what has majorly changed in people's diets that make it so that they would increase 15%? I mean, this is one of the few things that they can directly tie to the fact that pollen production has doubled from 5 grams to 10 grams per plant. Yeah. You know, from um, 1900 to 2000. And then it, it's expected to double again um, by 2075. They're not, they don't know for sure, um, well, what do you call it? It might go faster than that because it's based on the carbon in the atmosphere. Yeah, so we've got a choice now. Do we want more allergies? If we don't want more allergies, we may want to stop emitting massive amounts of carbon dioxide. Yeah, so so not only is pollen more prevalent, but it'll be a lot around for longer because the season, the pollen season is becoming longer, so. Yeah. But. And we've, we've got some fun stuff coming up, but first, since we're talking about CO2, let's get into one more CO2-related story. <laughs> Don't tell anybody that they're wrecking the planet. That's a trade secret. No, you, you can't read this one. The energy companies say it's a trade secret. Oh, no, we wouldn't want to spoil the trade secrets of the oil industry. <laughs> energy companies say releasing CO2 data will jeopardize trade secrets. Energy and chemical companies are urging the Obama administration to dump a proposal on greenhouse gas emissions reporting. They say new reporting requirements would put their trade secrets at risk. From the Hill, the White House is currently reviewing a proposal from the Environmental Protection Agency that could require companies to publicly release the information they use to calculate the emissions, like the volume of production or raw materials that are used. 
companies and market regulators worry that the data can be, quote, reverse engineered and reverse calculated to basically give away trade secrets, end quote. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, on one level, I'll say this. I can understand the trade secrets argument they're making. They're saying if they know, like, how much of these raw materials we use, how much gas we emit, then they may be able to figure out, like, our our recipes for the blend of oil we make or for the plastics we're creating, that sort of thing. I understand why they say it may be a trade secret. They're not just being completely silly. But it doesn't really matter. If you're emitting that CO2 into the air, then and it's affecting the public because of climate change, because of other pollution factors, then it's hard to see how that's a big enough secret that... Uh, you're not supposed to disclose any of that. It's like me well, saying, I mean, you know, I'm making this 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 thing that requires high amounts of arsenic, and I don't want to tell you how much arsenic I'm going to be putting in the water, because then you might figure out what I'm making. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if 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 it is a big trade secret, they can um, just basically put a pollution monitor on their factory and then they don't have to make any secrets. But they don't want someone else to monitor because it's self-monitor. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, this whole program is the companies will self-monitor themselves and release the data to the EPA. Yeah. So if they, if they don't want it to be a big secret, they can just have the EPA monitor them, and they don't have to worry about it. That's mm -hmm. it. But no, they don't want someone else to come in there. Yeah, they want to monitor themselves because they have a reliable history of that, and uh, they're perfectly willing to tattle on themselves that they're emitting too much. <laughs> have you heard about this bike share program? I've heard about it in other countries, but it's they just got a $22 million grant to create a bike share program in Chicago. Yeah, it's, it's catching on here in the U.S. too. I first heard about it in other countries, and then I heard about it on the, the East Coast, but now it's coming to the Midwest. Yeah, I mean, this program, the company that does it also runs New York, Washington, D.C., Boston, and the Twin Cities. So, to hear the Chicago Tribune tell it, people who use the city's new Divi bike share system on its first day of operation last Friday experienced nothing but headaches. But, the, but on Sunday, the reporter reported that I rode a divvy to all 68 of the new docking station, witnessed only a few problems, most of them minor. also spoke to plenty of satisfied customers and walked away from my 12-hour, 40-mile odyssey, mostly unscathed. So again, the system funded by a $22 million grant is owned by the city of Chicago and operated by Alta Bike Share. And... It's, Divi is actually part of a, several large-scale sustainability transportation initiatives in the work under Mayor Rahm Emanuel. This includes the complete overall of the South Branch of the Chicago Transit Authority's Red Line, bus rapid transit projects, construction of 100 miles of protected and buffered bike lanes, and the Bloomington Elevated Greenway, which promises to put New York City's high lane to shame. So, um, it's, uh, it doesn't say how many bicycles, but it says 68 docking stations. 
You still there? Yeah. Oh, I thought I lost you. <laughs> no, I'm still here. Yeah, it doesn't say how many, but that many docking stations means it's going to be a lot of bikes. Uh, yeah. So. And that's good, you know, and it's it's to be expected the very first day a program ro- ro- rolls out, you know, maybe there'll be one or two glitches, but it sounds like a good deal. Yeah, I wonder when we're going to get a bike share or a car share program in Carbondale. Yeah, that'd be pretty nice. I know a while ago they had Saluki Cycles for campus bike riding. Yeah. We could have something like that for the city of Carbondale. Yeah. Maybe I, they could look into Divi, you know. Uh, I know some some planners around here like to model themselves off of the bigger cities and say Carbondale is going to be a bigger city. <laughs> well, if that's the case, then bike sharing, that's where you go. I mean, Carbondale is a small enough city. You can get anywhere in the city faster on a bicycle. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, let's see what other news we've got today. Uh, 16-year-old has finally succeeded in making plastic out of banana peels. What do you mean finally succeeded? What kind of dream is that? (laughs) Yeah, it's a strange dream, but I like this one because it's it's combining science and uh, education for young people and reducing the use of fossil fuels all wrapped up into one. A few years ago, Elif Bilgin, now 16 began thinking about slimy used banana peels in an entirely new light. She knew that mango skins could be used to make more environmentally friendly plastic. That's something I didn't actually know. Me neither. <laughs> she was ahead of the game on that. So why not banana peels, too? The peels initially proved a slippery subject, scientific American rights. Bilgin spent two years toiling away on her project to develop a bioplastic from discarded banana peels. Enduring uh, enduring 10 failed trials of plastics that weren't strong enough or that decayed rapidly. Finally, in her last two trials, she made plastics with the features she sought, and it did not decay. Now, that's pretty exciting. You know, she she had a scientific idea. She she followed through on it. She found a type of plastic made from bananas that can actually be durable and doesn't decay right away. That's pretty amazing. That's yeah, I mean, that, that opens up into widespread, what else can we make plastics out of? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it shows, you know, the importance of education for young people. You know, if she hadn't had someone helping her to learn about science, helping her to, you know, teaching her the, the beginnings of what she had, she would have never known about mangoes. She would have never come up with this idea and done the research. So that's very exciting. And I, I like it, too, because it's it's something that uses a byproduct. Like, I don't necessarily think it's energy efficient to grow food specifically for the sake of turning it into biodiesel. But if you've got all these banana peels lying around that you're getting rid of, uh, you know, you can compost some of them, and you may be able to use others in creating bioplastics. Yeah, I wonder how long it'll be before you just have a machine that you can just toss your food waste into. <laughs> print out plastic things, I mean. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of the uh, Back to the Future, the first Back to the Future movie. They had a, they called it Mr. Fusion. You could just put, like, banana peels in there and any trash compost, and it would fuse it together in, into, like, energy. There you go. <laughs> yeah, this is like that, but it creates plastic instead. Speaking of energy, this soccer ball generates energy while you play. This is a real soccer ball. You can head it, kick it, knee it, slap it out of a goal with your fist, or if you are Diego Maradona, kick it into one. A soccer ball does not need another reason to be a wonderful thing. But this particular soccer ball, 
provides one. Kick it around for 30 minutes, and it powers an LED bulb for three hours. Now, the socket was developed by Harvard graduate Jessica Matthews, the co-founder and CEO of Uncharted Play. When you play with the ball, a generator inside stores the kinetic energy from its movements. That means it has the potential to make a huge difference in disadvantaged countries where soccer is popular but energy is scarce or, in the case of kerosene lamps, dangerous. Thanks to corporate sponsors, sockets have already been distributed in South Africa, Mexico, and Brazil. Now, they have been, you know, they're going through the process of making better and better versions. Um, currently, you could get one, I guess, on Kickstarter. It says the ball isn't cheap, $99 on Kickstarter for a ball-lamp combo. But as it gets more popular and easier to manufacture, the price should go down. So um, it's progress. It's not perfection. But it is a new product that's, again, do new things. Right. Yeah, it's doing something new, and you know, it sounds like they're going to donate some of them to people who could use the energy source. And I also like it because it's proof of concept. You know, the whole kinetic energy thing. People, if people see more little gadgets that utilize kinetic energy, then they'll realize that they exist now, and they may find bigger and better uses for the technology. Yeah. Well, simpler and better uses. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, think about it. I mean. This would not have been a, a, a five years ago. You couldn't have done this because yeah. LEDs are so energy efficient now. You couldn't have created a soccer ball that powered uh, incandescent bulb. There would be no way to produce enough energy. <laughs> yeah, incandescent bulbs use you know way more energy than an LED. So all of a sudden, there's this whole group of products that were just concepts in people's minds, but you know, produce small amounts of energy, but now with the LEDs, you can actually power things. And the portable devices, they use so little energy now that you can actually power them off of, you know, little doohickeys. Yeah, okay. sometimes less is more. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, less is more. Today happens to be the anniversary of the bikini. <laughs> That's pretty exciting. That was a good segue, huh? Yeah, that was. <laughs> it's, ju it's July. Yeah. And uh, coming up on Saturday, it's Take Your Webmaster to Lunch Day. That's an exciting prospect. I Maybe I'll get two or three lunches tomorrow. I'm webmaster for several uh, several people. There you go. Send an email out to all those groups that, and just remind them that you are their webmaster. Yeah. It's also Take Your Webmaster to Lunch Day. <laughs> so Sunday is Father and Daughter Take a Walk Day. It's also... Tell the Truth Day, and the birthday of Ringo Starr. Hmm. I try to tell the truth every day, but I guess if you don't, then especially on Sunday, it's your day. You let it all out. Say all those things you've been lying about. Okay, let's see. Mo Monday is Scud Day. Scud stands for Savor the Comic, Unplug the Drama. Hmm. I like that. Yeah, and also coming up... Uh, I don't know what this one is. Bald in, bald out day. <laughs> but it's <laughs> National Hop a Park Day. So I guess a day to go in the park and hop. Wednesday is Don't Step on a Bee Day. <laughs> Thursday is International Town Criers Day and UN World Population Day. It's also the anniversary day of the five billion. Yeah. 
population hit five billion, maybe. Yeah, that's that day. And uh, for me, every day is don't step on a bee day. I mean, so far, so good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, but I guess that's probably a day to honor bees, you know, since they're being killed off by pesticides and such. We we can try to commemorate them on that day. Well, bees are critical. I mean, that's the only way that you can grow anything. They go and pollinate the different plants. Yeah. That's what makes it possible for us to have not one, but two farmer's markets in Carbondale. Yeah. So. And that's a good segue, too. <laughs> We've got happenings this weekend. We have two farmer's markets on Saturday. There's one on the... Uh, let me remember my east and west for a second. There's one on each side. On the west side of town, we've got the, the Carbondale Farmer's Market from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. by the West Town Mall parking lot in Carbondale. So they're celebrating their 35th year. They've got all sorts of local produce, crafts, arts, honey, cheese. It's a good time out there. 8 a.m. to noon, West Town Mall parking lot. And on the east side, there's the Carbondale Community Farmer's Market. That's 9 till 1. Yeah. Um, on Coming up on Monday, the Transpoetic Playground at Global Gourmet. You are invited to Global Gourmet at 9 p.m., the freshest spoken word open mic in these here parts. Bring yes. your thought dreams and share them with friends. As always, all are welcome to the mic. Come yes. to the town of poets and listen. <laughs> and I'll be at that one. So if you've never heard me recite my poetry, that's your opportunity at Global on Monday. And I think we've got time for one more happening. Uh, it's a new event that's coming up. It's called Parents in Prison. What is the impact on children? The majority of prisoners in Illinois are parents. The children of incarcerated parents are at risk for a host of problems, both behaviorally and educationally. This workshop series will address the impact of prisons on the lives of children. It's happening at Guy House Interfaith Center, 913 South Illinois, for the next few Wednesdays at noon. And for more information, you can contact the Maureen Pyle, the facilitator, at metanoia.maureen at gmail.com. Good deal. It's wonderful talking to everybody again. If you missed the show, Treesong actually archives the show at yourcommunityspirit.org. Send us an email, info at yourcommunityspirit.org. We'll see you again on the radio, right? Yes, we will see you again soon on the radio next time here on WDBX 91.1 FM, Community Radio. In the meantime, enjoy the weather out there.